Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Stephanie Hupka, the 2023 Vice President of Membership and Outreach and a member of the pod squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ATD. Today, we are missing my co-host, Christina Eanes. She is our Vice President of Marketing and Communications. We do have our producer, Helena Hodges, who is our chapter's Vice President of Finance and Operations. And most importantly for this episode, we are interviewing Christopher Neubauer. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. We're thrilled you're here. I am really excited about this conversation. And before we get started, before I ask a single question, and I know I'm going to have a lot for you today, I'd love it if you would tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself. Well, probably the most important uh, part of my life is that I am also a fellow ATDer. I've been involved with ATD for a number of years (laughs) and have been certified as a CPTD for, gosh, I don't even know how many years, uh, right after it was introduced as a professional credential. Oh, yeah. Um, I started in uh, education as a high school teacher in Michigan, got into talent development, started as a training specialist on a human resources team, and ended up working my way up the chain of command and now serve as the chief people officer, head of global people and talent for Rotary International. That's amazing. We've got a lot of similarities in our background. CPTD and I especially can relate to uh, finding something you love and kind of working your way up until you're doing a whole lot more of it than maybe you ever expected. So, well, I'm really excited because we're talking about a topic that I, I just absolutely love. So today we are on the topic of aligning instructional design with business results. One of those areas that I think is so crucial, so very, very important and valuable to organizations. And sometimes is one of the first links that becomes missing or goes unnoticed. And so maybe that's as good a place as any to jump in. I'd love to hear from you a little bit about why organizations miss the opportunity to align their business goals to either instructional design work or talent development practices in general. Yeah, great question. So as a teacher, I mean, I I recall the days of aligning instructional design to uh, State Board of Education curriculum requirements. And, you know, that was not easy to do, but it was something to sort of connect what am I teaching every day um, relative to what's required. When I got into corporate training and more importantly, when I got into uh, teaching graduate courses on measurement evaluation in talent development, I realized that business leaders um, don't necessarily have a competency in talent development. And so that's why folks like us have jobs. And that's yeah. a great thing. But the <laughs> challenge is that we're not necessarily the best business people when it comes to acumen around uh, business results and business goals. And as I was teaching this graduate course in measurement and evaluation, one of the requirements of the course was for students to create an evaluation plan for an instructional design package that they have that they had created. Ooh. And what I learned was that the instructional design package is well, well decent and certainly following Addy and, you know, all of the things we would expect really weren't designed in a way that was intended to deliver on real tangible business results. Mm. And so what I encouraged the students to do is to sort of flip the model and start with E 
And so what I've done is kind of reimagined Addy and infused the evaluation all throughout Addy. And so as part of the analysis phase of Addy, I want you to figure out what does done look like or what does success look like and come up with those evaluation criteria that are specifically aligned to business goals so that by the end of this program, not only are we going to expect learners to have a great experience, but we're going to expect the business to have some sort of tangible results. Generally, I like to get people to monetary um, results. So talk to me about money. And that's the best way to connect talent development with with business and, and, yeah. and how to you know really engage in a dialogue with business leaders. It makes a lot of sense because that's oftentimes where our business leaders are focused. They're thinking about the bottom line. They're thinking about it from the, you know, the dollars to dollars perspective. And so it makes sense to try to get into that headspace as you're starting to make some of those connections. And I love what you said about starting with the E in Addy. A lot of times when we're thinking about, even with the A, so you're thinking about your analysis that you might be doing. One of the strategies I've I've always liked to engage with when I'm working with clients is to ask them to start with the data. So we're going to do a needs assessment. We're going to get some of that good information. But think about what story you want this information to tell you at the end. So you ultimately end up looking at building an evaluation perhaps with your needs assessment, making sure that that link is still there. Uh, One of the ways that you can start to you know, hopefully align with some business goals right from the get-go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in, in my book with the same title, Aligning Instructional Design with Business yeah. Goals, I actually, there's a whole chapter dedicated to reimagining Addy. And what I've done is infused E intentionally throughout Addy. And so, you know, as part of the analysis phase, um, there's a E with a sub C. So that's where you're actually being very intentional about collaborating with business leaders on what are the evaluation criteria so that it's fully understood and we don't have a moving target. Right. And really, it's it's a lot about managing expectations of what can talent development help our business accomplish without yeah. business leaders expecting us to be the magic bullet in the end all be all. Because while we'd love to be that, we recognize that there are so many other things besides training and uh, learning initiatives that are required for Uh, changing human behavior and creating desired outcomes. And then moving to the first D, of course, uh, design. What I'm Mm -hmm. suggesting is that's the time to design evaluation instruments. Don't wait until the end of the program and think about, okay, now it's time to evaluate. How should we do it? How about a survey? How about a whatever, whatever? Once you know the evaluation criteria, it should be very clear what instruments we need to collect the data to tell the story about whether or not we met those evaluation criteria or not. So while you're designing the curriculum, you're also designing the evaluation instrument. And then in the the development phase, you're actually creating the assessments. So what items are going to be used on your perhaps level one survey or your level two knowledge check or your level three rubric, observation rubric. So you're actually creating the material so that when you get to the E part, which I think is what most people, well, maybe many people fear, but a lot of people (laughs) don't love to do. uh, It's pretty much already done for you. All you have to do is actually implement the evaluation. You've already got the criteria established. You've already got the instruments created. Mm -hmm. Now you just have to deploy it, collect the data and figure out, did this accomplish what we hoped it would? 
I really love that as a strategy. And it also kind of gets me thinking about how, you know, on the surface, it makes sense. It certainly is something that I have found a lot of success with value in doing organizations that I've worked with have certainly seen that too. But there's always a little bit of pushback somewhere. Sometimes it's about making the case, especially to leadership, about why you might want to vary from a strategy or a system, you know, a process that has otherwise worked pretty well. Tell us a little bit about what that might look like. If you want to make the case for why uh, you might want to do things a little bit differently, how you might want to change your practices in order to get that better alignment, what might that look like in practice? Yeah, great question. In my experience, and I'm sure in the experience of many of the listeners, is that we as talent development professionals want to demonstrate and prove the value that we deliver. And oftentimes the way we do that is by offering a catalog of here are the things that we can offer or provide to you as business leaders. And I I like to reimagine that as well. And and instead of me coming to a business leader and saying, hey, have you thought about me doing X or I could do Y? What I want to talk to with business leaders about is what keeps you up at night? And listen really carefully to their answers because, uh, you know, part of uh, the book focuses on reconceptualizing to the business model of talent development within businesses. Mm -hmm. Our traditional business model is for most of us, we do new hire orientation and we do compliance training and we do professional development and we do, um, you know, succession planning and we do these things. All of those things are really important. But the question is, how do you get business leaders to see the true value that those things are contributing? And so if you sort of start from a different place, and that is asking the CEO, when you're laying in bed at night, what's on your mind? Mm. And and if you hear things like, you know, I'm really concerned about um, whether or not we're going to make our revenue goals or you know, we really need to break into this market and we've got some strong competitors there and we've got to figure out a way to do it. Yeah. If talent development can partner with business leaders to talk about, okay, if that's the goal, and and I I refer to this as a challenge because it could either be aspirational that, hey, this is a great opportunity for us, or it could Mm -hmm. be a problem. It could be, hey, we're in trouble and we've got to do something about it. So I refer to you know, the umbrella is those are challenges, whether they're good challenges or negative challenges, those are challenges. Sure. Um, if, if, if this is the challenge that keeps you up at night, let's not prescribe to you what talent development can do towards addressing that challenge, but let's facilitate a discussion with all of our executives, with all of our business leaders about what are all the possible different strategies for how we might go about tackling this challenge. And the reason I like to do that is because it creates a sense of ownership of, um, you know, where can, where can marketing fit in? Where can our HR colleagues fit in? So for example, if we, if, if it's, if our revenue goal is the the challenge, we might want to reconsider the size of our sales team. We may want to introduce a, uh, an incentive program that really incentivizes people to sell more yeah. or really encourages people to close the deal. So, um, you know, Changing behavior isn't just putting people through training. And so let's get everybody in a room. Let's brainstorm all of the different strategies that we think could contribute to uh, accomplishing this business challenge. And then let's prioritize them. Let's like let's pick the top five and say, OK, if we focus all of our time, effort, people and resources on these five things, how much of these do we think can contribute to achieving that goal? Mm. And you know, one of the things I discuss in the book is training will never be 100 percent. 
So manage expectations by getting business leaders to say, hey, if we want to increase revenue by $2 million, we think if all we did was training, so we don't increase our sales force, we don't introduce an incentive program, all we do is put people, the existing sales force through training on, let's say, product benefits and features and maybe negotiations and how to close the deal. We think just doing that alone, we can accomplish maybe 10% of that goal. But yeah. we're not going to we're not going to accomplish 100 percent of it. And sure. so then you start to manage expectations that when you get to the evaluation, the question becomes, OK, did the training portion of this actually contribute to 10 percent of achieving that business goal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really love the word you use too. the idea of people being able to have ownership over portions of this process. I think one spot, especially within talent development, and I'm certainly thinking about our instructional designers, uh, certainly people who might be delivering training, you can sometimes feel as if you have been given an assignment. You know, We have this common perception that there are order takers. And a lot of us have experienced what it's like to take those orders. We've got a new initiative. We have a new goal. We need training. Here's what our, we are requesting of you. Now just go do it. But to really bring people in and see them and view them as business partners, encourage them to be part of something and have them recognize the ownership they have as part of that process that helps them understand that they also truly do connect to success, but it also integrates all of those opportunities, all the training that might happen into the achievement of that goal itself. It's not like a layer on top anymore. It's really woven in as part of that, that fabric. Yeah. And, you know, in many ways, our life is throughout our life, we've been programmed to be consumers. And so that inherently means that we're accustomed to to order taking. When we go into a restaurant and tell someone, this is what I want. And, you know, you'd never have a waiter say, okay, that may be what you want, but I think this is what you need. You know, that just doesn't exist. But, but, you know, try that with a doctor, try going to a doctor and saying, Hey, this is what's wrong with me. And I need you to prescribe this, this, and this. And by the way, you're going to perform this surgery on me next week or whatever. (laughs) That's, we need to think more like a doctor and less like an order taker. Absolutely. That's a great way to frame it too. It also kind of gets me thinking, this is probably in some way, kind of in in some ways uncharted territory for some of our, our listeners who are joining us today. So thinking about what it might look like to be part of an environment where you may have the ability to be part of these conversations, or perhaps you want to be part of them, but you're, you're not quite sure how to get some of these conversations started. I'd love to hear, and maybe this is a two part question. I'd love to hear a little bit about some of the skill sets that we should be prepared to have some of the things that we should be prepared to bring to the table and also a little bit from you too about how you might start some of these conversations. It's a very new way of framing problems or framing opportunities and challenges. What would that look like? Yeah. So that's a great question. And I, I actually spend some time in the book addressing this as well, that I, I, I fear, I fear that one of the challenges for those of us in our profession and myself included when I started, we we're talent development professionals first and then business people second. And we can't be, it has to be the opposite. We're business professionals first who happen to be dedicated to talent development. And so one of the important skills is being able to speak the language of business. And that's not necessarily innate or um, comfortable for us because we're people, people, we, we want to make sure that (laughs) we're helping people develop and grow. And we like to watch that happen. And we're not necessarily as focused on the bottom line as what we perceive our business partners to be. But 
if we are not focused on the bottom line, we can't possibly have the resources and the staffing we need to be able to do the things that we care about, which is making people feel psychologically safe and feeling valued and getting professional development opportunities and all of those kinds of very important talent development initiatives. So I really think we need to uh, focus not just on instructional design and, and not especially not just focusing on our own lexicon, because I promise you, I haven't met a business leader yet who cares about Addy or um, (laughs) terminal objectives or, you know, any of the fancy jargon that we like to use, Yeah, which is great. We should have our own language. That's, that's a characteristic of a profession, but in order to relate to the people who, who don't speak that language, we have to meet them in the middle and the language that we can all speak, the universal language of business, no matter what culture you're from or what country you live in is money. And so if we can find a way to get to money and, you know, I I share a story in the book about a high school principal who was in one of my classes and said, look, I don't buy this. This is, this is a bunch of bunk because money doesn't have any um, place in, in um, higher education. Like, okay, let's explore that. Let's, let's talk through that. And so, you know, the challenge that this particular student was facing was that uh, the, the state uh, scores and the test scores in, in her school were declining. Like, okay, well let's, let's sort of use the the five whys. Why is that a problem? And then, you know, we started uncovering, well, you know, if the scores are falling, then good teachers don't, aren't attracted to come work here. And parents are worried about the quality of education they're getting. So they're pulling their students out of the school. Okay. Well, why is that a problem? Well, because the fewer the students we have, the less funding we get like, okay, funding is money. Yeah. Magic word. You didn't, yeah. You didn't just think, you know, um, immediately about the, the impact of money, but you got there, but it, but it takes, it takes intention and diligence and really building that business acumen skill set. So my recommendation for all talent development professionals is we got to become better, stronger business leaders and be seen that way. Yeah. And rather than try to convince other business leaders that that's what we are and try to convince them of the value that we can bring, we have to show them. Yes, we do. And just talk about it. We have to prove it. And, you know, uh, one of the things that uh, we talked about is being order takers. Well, I worry that the tendency is that we fall into the trap of being order takers because we don't want to be perceived as being uh, naysayers or unhelpful or like, well, if they're not going to do motivation training, then why, what, what are they here for? Right. Right. So yeah. rather than take the order, say, okay, I, I appreciate you've come to me because you recognize there's some sort of problem or, or need. Mm-hmm. Let's talk through that. What about yeah. that is keeping you up at night? Okay. What's the impact of that? And work with the business leader to jointly discover the impact from a financial perspective, even things like turnover. You know, I hear this often. This, this is a problem because it's turnover. Okay, well, turnover itself is not the problem. The problem yeah. that occurs as a result of turnover is the loss of uh, knowledge that you have on the staff because, you know, that's walking out the door. And so you either have to backfill with more people or you have to bring on temporary contingent workers to do some work. The cost of replacing people is tremendous. It's, yeah. It all comes down to a financial impact. And so that's why I say you got to be able to speak the language of money. And I know there will be talent development colleagues that will resist that, but I don't see any other way around it. 
I think it's a very fair assessment. And I, I think to your point, too, it is possible to have both. You can still be very human focused, very, Absolutely. you know, you know, you don't have to lose any of your passion in order to also integrate in that business focus. In fact, it may make it easier for you eventually to get to your goal, which might be develop the best training possible, make the greatest impact possible. But through working with an organization and making sure that your work is in full alignment with the business goals, that does give you that opportunity to perhaps strengthen your position. Some of it, it sounds to me like a matter of perspective, but also a great opportunity for us, you know, as practitioners, just an incredible opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And it's an opportunity that I would hate to see people miss because they're not trying these new things. And, you know, some of the things that I talk about in my book may be, uh, you know, controversial for some folks because it's different and it's not what we're used to. But all I'm asking is for people to give it a chance. See if it works. We uh, we always appreciate the opportunity to challenge ourselves. A lot of us in this field are here because of that growth mindset. So I'm really excited about it. But before we wrap up and before we get to those final three questions we love to ask at the end of episodes, you've mentioned your book. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about the book, what it is, where we can find it. Yeah. So yeah. I appreciate that question. And as I mentioned, I was teaching graduate courses at a university in Chicago. And um, what I learned was, well, as I mentioned, I, my, my course, my primary course was measurement and evaluation. And it came at the end of the program, which yeah. incidentally is no huge surprise, right? Considering that the E comes at the end of Addy. And when sure. you look at the curriculum of the graduate program, that's sort of how it was structured. They of started course. with needs assessments, then they went into construct, uh, instructional design, then they focused on facilitation. And then, yep. hey, before you graduate, you better take this course in measurement yeah. and evaluation. And really what I watched my students struggle with was, how much better could we have done in terms of conducting needs analyses? How much better have we, could we have done in terms of designing and developing curriculum if we had had evaluation first? And right. so that's that was really the impetus and inspiration for me to start speaking about this at ATD conferences. Yeah. And so I did that at, at the International Conference and Exposition. And um, I, some ATD staffers happened to be in the room and at some point, someone reached out to me and said, hey, look, we get this question all the time about business alignment. We think there's a book here and <laughs> maybe you'd be interested in writing it. And this was you know, slightly before the pandemic hit and I was quite busy and you know, I work a full time job and responsible for a lot of stuff. And I was teaching two graduate classes and uh, serve as a chairman of a board of a, a global not for profit organization. And, and I have a lot going on. So. Writing a book was not in my cards at the moment, but then the pandemic hit and, you know, the world went to work at home and I thought, okay, well, if I'm not going to be traveling as much or Mm -hmm. engaged in in as many social things like presenting at conferences, maybe I'll sit down in front of my laptop and start taking a stab at this book. And I did. And, you know, writing a book is quite a, quite a, um, quite a job, you know, if if I can say so. And I, but at the end of the day, I'm so thrilled that ATD identified a need for the book and that they trusted me with writing it and are, you know, giving me the opportunity to share my experiences coming from high school to um, entry level practitioner and talent development all the way up to leading uh, global talent development for Rotary. And so I'm really excited to share everything that I've learned 
and you know hope that people will actually put some of this stuff into practice because that's that's my goal. I want to make sure that people are able to replicate but customize. So it's not prescriptive. I do share an eight-step yep. framework for here's how I think you might go about doing this successfully in your organization, but recognizing that every organization is different, every culture yeah. is different, the leadership team is different, relationship dynamics are different. So take these, tweak them, customize them, put them to work in your business, and then I can't wait to hear about how it's working out for you. And maybe, just maybe, that will be a second edition. That's an amazing story of how your book came together. I'm excited to read it. I, and I agree with you. I think this is such a critical topic for all of us, no matter where you happen to be in the profession. I am thrilled that you are helping to advance how we conceptualize it, how we talk about it, and how we actually put it into practice in the industry. So I'm really grateful that you especially were here to share all of these great thoughts with us today. But I'm even more grateful that we still have three more questions for you. So at the end of each one of our episodes, we like to wrap up with what we call rapid fire. Three questions. Each one should take no more than about 60 seconds or so to answer. Do you think you've got just a little bit more in you to answer three last questions? I'm willing to try. Willing to try, we will take. Absolutely. All right. Well, first question that we've got for you today, give us one book that everyone must read and why. Oh, well, I talked about one, but I'll give you one of my personal <laughs> favorites that I had nothing to do with. Um, yeah. some, some of the listeners may be familiar with um, a really phenomenal person named Brene Brown, who wrote a book uh, called Rise Strong. And to me, that's just you know, a life changer. And, yeah. you know, learning the phrase, the story I'm telling myself really is a way to reframe things and find comfort in things that may otherwise be uncomfortable. So I would have to pick Rise Strong. And that phrase changed my outlook on so many things. That is a fabulous pick. I'm so glad you chose that one. Two great book recommendations from you today. I love it. Uh, second question for you. What is one tool that you can't live without? And you can define that in any way you'd like. Oh, one tool. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm inclined to immediately just respond my pizza oven, but probably <laughs> you can more do it. To- <laughs> well, probably what's more true than that is my phone and specifically the notes app on my phone. Ah, yeah, that's a really good choice. Although I would love to hear more about the pizza oven since <laughs> that has been a recent interest of mine as well. Good. Well, I will, I'll give you a little, uh, um, a sneak preview. The, the pizza oven makes a, 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 a an Easter egg appearance in, in the book. Well, now you've given all of us a reason, to, as if we needed one more reason. You've given us one more reason to go check it out. I'm excited about this. I'm very excited about this. All right. Last question of the day. I promise. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, boy. Um, well, I, I attribute my success greatly to a lot of pieces of advice that I've been given by a number of people, but probably the one thing that stands out to me and has been most impactful to me in every facet of life, professionally and personally, is don't hold on to beliefs that are not or cannot be true because Mm. that causes suffering. 
Oh, that's a good one. And the thing I love about that piece of advice is it really resonates and relates back to Brene Brown's The Story I'm Telling Myself. If the story you're telling yourself is holding on to a belief that is not or cannot be true, then you're suffering by holding on to that belief. So you've got to mm. try to reframe it and explore whether or not that is the reality and accept what is. And, you know, I guess if I had to pick another book, I don't, I'm breaking the rules here, but you're welcome uh, to, but, but another book that I would say is um, it's called loving what is by Byron Katie. Phenomenal book. Oh, and one I have not read. Ooh, a new recommendation. Okay. This, gosh, this has been an incredibly informative half hour or so with you today. I, I feel like I am taking away so many great ideas, book recommendations, certainly, but also just some really great thoughts to really mull over and start to integrate into my own practice. I have no doubt that that is true for everyone who's joined us today. Chris, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for sharing some really important wisdom with all of us. This has been fun. It's my pleasure, Stephanie. Thanks for having me here. And I appreciate all of the work that your chapter is doing and uh, proud to be a member of ATD with you. It's a, an incredible, incredible organization and a phenomenal group of members. I mean, across the world these days. So I am right there with you. And of course, many thanks to all of you in our community for joining us and for listening today. And before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Do you need consultant services? The Metro DC chapter of ATD has many talented members. Go to dcatd.org and check out our consultants directory under the resources menu option. Follow the Metro DC chapter of ATD on LinkedIn today.